Jesus. Well, I want to be a good Christian too. Amen. Here's what I know. I'm so thankful that word you just said set me up very well. Thank you. You will be. You will be. Uh, I tell people all the time, people will come to me in revivals and they'll say, man, I just, I want to be like Christ. And I said, you will be because you want to. It works when you want to. It's hard to, it's, it's a lot easier to tame a tiger than prod a turtle. Amen. But when you want to do something, I believe that God will partner with you. And if you're obedient to his word, you will. And so I think that this passage of scripture we're going to read from here in a moment is going to convince you of that. I want to go to Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 28. Give honor to all of you for being here this morning again. So glad that I've gotten to be in service with you every evening. It's been a great pleasure. And I'm here again this morning or this afternoon. I'm thankful for each and every one of you making uh, the time to offer yourselves unto Christ this week. It's been amazing. Thankful for what God did last night. Thankful for the pastoral leadership that's here. I'm thankful for the great showing in this, this great district. I'm thankful for the leadership of your district, your district board. I'm thankful for you great men. Thankful for your wives that are partnered with you in ministry. I believe it all works together. Amen. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. I want to minister this afternoon on these four words. Not yet, but already. You will be. (laughs) Not yet, but we will be. And I believe that all of us this morning have one desire. We want to be like Christ. And since that is your desire, it tells us for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants it as much as you do. And so it will be. Don't feel like it right now, but it has already. Would you lift up your hands right now? And let's pray. I believe God is going to deposit faith into this house I believe that God is going to greatly catapult us, is what I feel, into the trajectory that God has designed this great district for. I feel like there is a great moment where alignment of faith, expectation, hope is all merging into one here this afternoon. And I believe that God is going to launch us from here back into our areas of calling. And we're going to look at our areas of calling with a whole fresh set of eyes. Father, in the name of Jesus, you have your will, you have your way. Father, I submit myself to you and to your word that you would pick me up as if I were a microphone and speak through me from heaven today. God, let it be your words echoing through this vessel today. None of my opinions, but only scripture. Father, we'll give you glory for what takes place here in this service. You've done so much already and we thank you for it. So God, with what you have done, we expect that you will continue to do here in this service right now. In your name we pray. We give you glory. We give you honor. Would you give him honor right now through worshiping him, lifting your hands, clapping your hands, shouting, giving an amen, a hallelujah, whatever you feel comfortable doing, just give him praise. Father, we love you. We honor you. We adore you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Sis, that'll be the the graphic that I gave you, the not yet, but already, if that's on there. There is a scene that takes place in the Bible, and we have to creatively fill in a few gaps and so allow me some creative liberty I'm not intending to add or take away from scripture but I want to build up a narrative within scripture right now it would seem that the scene would take place and I imagine early one morning there was courageous rays of sunlight beginning to spill over the horizon there's this cascading blend of beautiful golden orange and pink hues that's beginning to emerge over the landscape as morning begins its shift as it's taking over from the evening there is a gentle sound of sheep no doubt that you could hear outside as they are 
chewing the dew-covered grass and eventually one of those precious lamb will let out a gentle, just gentle sound as he begins to baa. As the golden hue of morning light and sounds of sheep creep through the window of a humble hut, I can see a man rising from his bed. He stretches out his arms and involuntarily a yawn begins to burst forth from his mouth. And he begins to rub the sleep away from his eyes and he stands and grabs his tunic, slides it over his head. He grabs his handmade sandals, places them upon his feet. He walks into the living area and he begins to look outside. Not long after, his wife walks out and begins to prepare his food for the day. She possibly grabs some quail eggs, a morsel of bread, wraps them in an animal hide and begins to hand them to her husband and notices that today he maybe seems a little bit down, he seems a little bit off. So she consoles him and says this, I imagine this had to have taken place, maybe it didn't, but I just can't help but imagine that Zipporah looks at Moses smiles, kisses his wife, and she looks at him and she says, Moses, I know that it's not a glorious task watching my father's sheep for these past 40 years. I know you possibly thought that your life would amount to more than this. I imagine that you thought that being raised in a palace near Pharaoh, being saved from absolute murder or anything like that because you were saved from the Nile River, that your life was somehow important. But I just want to encourage you today, babe, don't be discouraged. Maybe this was all for a reason. I can see Moses maybe smiling and looks at her and with a stutter in his voice, he says, who, who, who are we kidding, Zipporah? These, these aren't even my sheep. There's nothing special about what we're doing. I'm just Moses, a stuttering, simple, hired shepherd. I can't even speak right. Nevertheless, he pushes back the veiled door that shielded their wilderness home from the arid elements. He enters into the field of his labor, whistles to the sheep that aren't his, to which they respond by following him out to pasture. Nothing special, certainly nothing divine, Definitely nothing glorious, just another day. But I imagine there would be these words that would ring over in his mind. Maybe this is all for a reason. Maybe watching someone else's sheep for 40 years, maybe there's a reason for this. Nevertheless, the task at hand of watching sheep has no respect for your wishful thinking. As the hours of the day went by and the sun begins its journey to the opposite horizon, Moses now will begin the task of herding the sheep under his care back to safety. On his way home in this hot afternoon, he begins to herd the sheep back so that they can put them to pasture. But before they do, he has to bring them to the watering well before it gets too hot. And as he's traveling home, he sees something out of his peripheral that is enough to stop him in his tracks. And here we get where we're confident in what happens. He turns aside to see a great sight. He sees a burning bush and he's drawn to it. As he approaches these words burst forth, Moses, Moses. And I can't help but chuckle a little bit as I read this because I imagine Moses stopping and thinking, how does this bush know my name? I've never met this bush. Where's, where's this bush coming from? How does he know me? And you can imagine a bush speaking is enough to make you want to approach. And so the voice comes forth and says, take your sandals from off your feet for where you stand is holy ground. I've wondered what was so intriguing that made him turn aside. And I personally believe that the reason for him being drawn to the bush was he noticed something as mundane as himself, holding divine glory and not being consumed. Something insignificant, something not special, Something just average, something every day. But that was what God chose to descend upon for Moses, was something ordinary, a bush. And a bush is holding the divine glory of God. And one can't help but imagine that if God can put glory on a bush, then what on earth could something made in his image do with the glory? So Moses takes off the shoes. He approaches, terrified and in shock, he begins to approach this 
powerful revelation of who God would reveal himself as. And in Exodus 3, it says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Whoa. I thought you just said that you have come down now to deliver them. I have. So then why am I going? Because that's how this works, Moses. The bush holding the divinity is a representative of you. You will now carry this glory, and I've proven to you that my glory will come down on the ordinary. For it becomes extraordinary, and it makes people turn aside to see it when I'm on it. Come, therefore, I will send you. The word send here is a powerful word because when you read the Greek old version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it's the Greek word apostello, which becomes the word we all admire and love as apostolic. He looks at Moses, he says, I will apostolic you. For the word apostolic means send. If you only stay in a church and you never go, stop calling yourself apostolic. You become apostolic when you have a message and you are clothed with glory and you bring it somewhere. That is what being apostolic really is is. And he says, here, I'm going to apostolic you. I am sending you. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? A very insecure, stuttering Moses who's been watching somebody else's sheep for 40 years is having trouble coming into alignment with the reality that the God of the universe would want to put his glory on him to execute the task that God wanted to to have executed. Then God says something perplexing. He doesn't affirm him. He doesn't pat him on the back. He doesn't tell him I'm going to heal the stutter. He doesn't tell him anything other than I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have apostolic to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Here's the sign that I'm with you, Moses. When you get through Egypt, that'll be the proof that I was with you because you will never get through Egypt without me. A confused Moses is trying to wrap his head around this future speech that God said so confidently. I haven't even gone to Egypt yet. I haven't even said yes to the call. I haven't even responded. I'm still standing here as a stuttering shepherd near a mundane bush holding the divine presence of God. I haven't even told you yes yet. But in God's mind, for those to whom I foreknew, then have I called. You're at the beginning stages, and if you just say yes, I can already see you here at this mountain. I've already got the book of Exodus 19 written in my mind. I just need you to get there. You haven't yet, but you have already. How can God speak in such a way? You're saying that the sign that you're with me has already been determined in the future? You already see me in the future standing right here, worshiping you with the people that have come out. What if they don't let us go? What if Pharaoh doesn't, doesn't release them? I've got that all figured out. He will, but he hasn't yet. Oh, but he has already. I haven't said yes yet. I know, but if you do, I've got the plan figured out. I haven't, but... I don't, I don't understand what you're saying, God. I'm nothing special, but I am. I stutter. That's okay. But it's, I, I'm no, I don't even have a good resume. I, this, these are somebody else's sheep. Oh, that's going to make sense later. Because you're going to watch mine for 40 years. Oh, that's been a setup. 
I've had this figured out the day you were born, son. It's going to work. Trust me. Little did Moses know that God had a plan. He would understand that the glory that was being revealed to him in a burning bush was only the introduction to the ultimate plan. Moses could not know right there in his finite mind that the glory that he is getting a revelation of as a flame of fire sitting on a bush, he could not wrap his head around in the future the mountain where he was standing at would burn someday. Don't settle at the bush when God has plans of mountains burning later. And don't settle for hiding your face from God because someday you might say, show me your face. Moses, you don't know this, but I'm calling you at the burning bush. But in the future, you're going to be justified at this mountain. And when you come down from it, you're going to be glorified. For those to whom I call at a bush, I justify at the mountain. And those to whom I justify at the mountain, when they come up it, I glorify them when they come down. It's all in the plan, Moses. You don't have to stress about a thing. You don't have to worry about Pharaoh. You don't have to worry about, is he going to let them go? He's going to let them go. I will have a people. I've already, I didn't water the land in the promised land for nothing. There's going to be people move into it. Trust me. Hear me clearly, pastor. Let me be quite plain, young person. Young ladies, elders, precious pastors, wives, prayer warriors, evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, whoever is in this room, please hear me quite plain. The glory that you have felt this week is good, but you can't see it yet, but your face is going to be shining someday. What you have experienced, the thing you desire, who do you think put that in you? And do you think that God put burden inside of you for you to stay frustrated? God planted a desire within the hearts of his people. If you eat, sleep, and breathe Bible studies, if you will submit to the plan, you will be teaching Bible studies. But Brother Holloway, I haven't even opened up my house yet, not yet. But if you keep that desire and you partner it with God, he's the one who calls you. He'll justify the call and he'll glorify it. You will have a house filled with people wanting the Bible study. But I haven't seen it yet. Oh, but God has already. Because he put the desire in you. This is why we cannot brag about anything. I thought it would be cool one day to go into prayer and say, God, anoint me. Look at all I've given up. And God said, you gave those things up because I put it in your heart too. All you did was respond to the burden I gave you. And I gave you that burden because I was drawing you near to me. It was God's effort that I partnered with. Hear me, please. Don't settle at the bush when we've already seen mountains can hold the fire. Don't settle for the mountain when we know that Moses' face will shine with glory. Don't settle for that when we know 120 can also be set afire and we became the mountain. Don't settle for the 120 when we know 3,000 can do it as well. Don't settle for the 3,000 when the Lord adds to the church daily. They have said that every three seconds somebody gets filled with the Holy Ghost. That means right now, just in this speaking, we've had four and just right now, just in this manner of conversation that we're having, people across the globe are getting filled with the Holy Ghost. So you can doubt this plan or you can just say, I haven't seen the harvest, but if I zoom out, it's already happening. We are going to see, and I'm not trying to hype the church up. I'm trying to inject you with Bible and the Bible will hype you up. The Bible has proven to us that if I submit to the plan, God has it figured out. Gideon also dealt with the same insecurity as Moses when an angel meets him while he's hiding inside of a wine press. I preached about it Wednesday. The Midianites were taking their food and while hiding in a wine press, God shows up and says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. He's saying this to a man hiding. I'm so glad that God saw him for what he would be and not for what he was. I'm not here based on how you feel. The emotions of fear are real and you're hiding all of the wheat from the enemy and I see you in a hole, but here's what I see in the future, Gideon. Mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about saying? And listen to what he quotes. Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? 
And I can imagine the mind of God in his infinite wisdom standing there looking at him and Gideon and saying, are you going to quote to me the Egyptian story? I met a man just like you, Gideon. Did it work out for him? And if I'm the same for him, since I'm no respect of persons and I show no partiality to any man, I'll give you what I gave your brother. I, I, I've changed my speech. I used to say, and I thought it was humility, I don't want to stand next to Paul. I am going to stand next to Paul someday. And I'm going to look at him as a brother. And I'm going to say, we have the same Holy Ghost. And I did to the best of my ability, everything God told me to do. Let's go and worship him together. You see, John fell down at the feet of an angel and worshiped him. The angel kicked him and said, see that you don't do that for I am a man just as you are. I can go into prayer and say, God, you anointed T.W. Barnes and he has the same Holy Ghost I've got. And since that's my brother, God, do it for me the way you would do it in me. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost and I believe that what he's done for my brothers and sisters, he can do for me. And as a child of God, you have every right to go and ask him that. I did it for Moses, Gideon. I'll do it for you. He says, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. What might? Gideon just complained about why God isn't doing anything. He says, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not? There it is again. Apostolic you. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord says something that he said to his brother many, many years in the past. Surely I will be with you. It's not, it's, this isn't about you, Gideon. What you don't know, Gideon, and what you can't see right now in your finite way of thinking is how you feel is what you're consumed with. You're hiding in a hole and you don't think you're that brave. But what I see, I'm already over here and I see you on a battlefield with 300 men. That's why I'm calling you mighty man of valor. It's not prophecy for me to say that over you, Gideon, because I'm looking at it. Your future is my present. I stand in all times. I've got my left foot in Genesis and I've got my right foot in Revelation and I can see all of it right now at a glance. And I already know that if you say yes while in the hole, then you will be what I see over there. But I'm gonna leave it up to you. You don't have to get the future. You see, prophecies have to have participants. Just because a prophecy goes forth doesn't mean you get it. You have to participate with the word of God, submit to it, obey God, and he'll lead your steps. He'll order every step into the future that he has determined. But if you rebel against the word of God, you can just meander about and stay in the hole. But if you submit Oh, the glory that will be revealed in us if we follow the plan. And the burden that's in you is a sign of what will be grown and birthed later in the future. If you have a burden to evangelize your city, God put it there. And so since that burden's there, God is going to let it bring forth the fruit of the labor that you participate with. God didn't just give you the burden to let you do nothing with it. God always wins. This was why Paul could say what he did in Romans 8. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, not mine, his. For whom he, future tense, foreknew, he also, future tense, predestined. And here it is. This is what I was talking about this morning. Nine times out of 10, the will of God is right here. To be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he, future tense, predestined, these he, past tense, called. Those whom he called, those he justified, and whom he justified, he has also glorified. Read it, in, when you read this in the Greek, it is one of the most complex sentences because Paul is like, you have been glorified. It's this circle in the language. You have already been glorified, past. You have, past tense, been glorified. And you're sitting there like, well, I don't feel glorified. No, not yet. But if you submit to the plan, you are already. 
it is determined, Moses, that if you accept the call at the bush, when you get to the mountain, did you know that mount, the mountain burning in Exodus 19 is the day of Pentecost before it was even a festival? It's on the third month and the third day. That's Pentecost. 50 days after Passover, Moses is standing there. Fire falls on this mountain. And in the English, it says that there was language or there was uh, thunders and lightnings falling in the, in the mountain. But in Hebrew, the word thunders is kolot. That's the Hebrew word languages. On the day of Pentecost, there's a language falling in the fire. And God says, come on up here, Moses. And Moses is like, you know, I don't know if you know this, Yahweh, but that, that, we don't walk through fire. You understand the theology of fire in the Bible is to protect us from God's holiness because we're everything but holy. And if we approach God, he's like the sun. He gives light, but if you draw too close, you'll be obliterated. That's God's holiness, all right? There it is in a nutshell. So there's a veil of fire that protects us from his goodness, his holiness, his perfect righteousness. And so to approach him, we have to follow peace and holiness without which we'll never see God. And so what God does, he says, here, I'll put a piece of my holiness on you so that you can come and be here with me. And so the Bible says that Moses opened his mouth and out came a voice. He's becoming justified right here. I can go and be with God on this mountain because his holiness has been put on me. When you got filled with the Holy Ghost, it was an eligibility to approach God because there's a piece of holiness on you that gives you the ability to come near the Holy God because his goodness has been imparted to you through his goodness through shedding of blood. And now when you spoke with the tongue, you were able to enter into a covenantal relationship where you could approach the throne of grace with boldness now you being the body of Christ he has made us to sit in heavenly places so if Christ is seated on high and you're his body where do you sit you're the body you have been made to sit in heavenly places so you can approach God's goodness his glory his holiness all because you have his holy ghost inside of you and when you approach him you can let your petitions be known and he hear the voice of his people and it's up to him if he rules on our behalf I don't care just as long as he hears my voice I'm happy with just having a voice in the throne room but if he does it glory to God if he doesn't glory to God I just want to talk to him and be near him you are justified through his blood and infilling of spirits. But then he says, I'm going to walk with you as long as you abide in me. If you keep my commandments, I will walk with you. And so when he does, he glorifies us. And we sit here and we're like, I haven't seen it yet. Not yet. But it's happening. It's prepared for you. He wants to glorify you more than anything. He wants you to walk in end time authority more than anything. He wants revival for us more than anything. He wants us to experience the divine more than anything. More than you want it, he wants it for you. And so when I come into alignment and say, be it unto me, oh God, just something that births inside of my spirit just like Mary did. I'm just saying, God, everything you want for me, be it unto me. And when districts and local churches, when we come into an atmosphere of saying, God, I want your will, whatever you want for me. He says, good, here's what I'm going to do for you. That burden you're feeling, it's going to birth something in the future. You don't have to stress about it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to wonder, is it going to happen? It's going to happen. But where we're stuck right now is right here in the moment. Time is our enemy. We Westerners are funny with time. We, we say such things as like, oh, I'm going to do this so I can save time. You can't save time. Time is marching on. You can't stop it and put it into a little piggy bank and say, okay, when we run out, I'm going to take out a deposit. You cannot save time. You can become more efficient with your time, but you can't save it. We say things like, I'm going to go spend time. You can't spend it. We say things like, time is money. Do you hear our Western way of thinking? Time is currency for us. Time has no respect for you. Time is moving. And so you and I, we are stuck at the end of the hour hand. You know what an hour hand is nowadays? Do you guys know that? You know, like, I know, I know we have numbers nowadays, but you know, like the one, two, three, that's back in the day. It was, it was right next to the phone where you spin the little dial. An actual clock with an hour hand, minute hand, you know, like I would, this was a revelation to me when I saw one, I was like, whoa, that's how clocks work. But at the end of the hour hands where me and you live, that's our home. Okay. Just settle in here right now. What time is it? 
I'm wearing a watch, dummy. All right, so it's 2 o'clock. At, we're stuck right here, Brother Paul. At, Paul said at 2 o'clock. This is our home. Get used to it, okay? I cannot go back to one. And even worse is I can't go to three. So when God tells me something about three o'clock at two o'clock, I can't see it. I can't peer over the wall of time and be like, oh yeah, there it is, and have confidence. I have to believe what he said at two. And there it is. But what we do is we look back at one and we reject ourselves about three. Because God met with Moses at two o'clock and he said, you're gonna deliver Egypt. But God, all I'm looking at is the past 40 years. There's no way you're gonna use me. Oh, you can't see three o'clock, but I can. You live at the end of the hour hand, I live in the dot in the center. I'm looking at your one o'clock and I am covering that with my blood if you'll let me. If you will repent, I'll wipe all that out. I will abolish all of that past and I will restore you in the present because you asked me for my forgiveness. I will do that for you. I'll justify you by my own blood. I have already, here, you don't know this, but I was slain at the foundations of the earth for your mistakes. I need you to confess it to me that you did it. Tell me what you did at one and then say you're never going back to it, that's repentance, and I will wipe one o'clock off of your map in heaven for you. And here's what I'll do. I'll call you right here at two o'clock and I will give you three o'clock because you said yes here. Why are we so insecure about three o'clock when we know that he has already wiped out one and has called us at two? Three is coming. It hasn't happened yet. Oh, but it's going to because if he has power to do that, he has power to do this. If he can wipe that out, he can fulfill this. God is not us. He can look at the whole clock and say, I will clean that and I'll spill my blood all over it to where you'll never see it again. And you aren't even eligible for me to meet with you at two but if I can meet with you at two o'clock I can be with you at three o'clock when you are glorified for those to whom I called I justified and those to whom I justified I glorified your future is set if you will partner with me stop worrying about is it gonna work stop worrying about oh God is this is this word you gave me from you don't stress about it just hear from God if it's not from him the future will tell it but if it is from him, the future will tell it. Just walk with him. Walk into the future and say, all I know is I've gotten a burden. All I know is that I feel the call. All I know is that I feel this burden for God to manifest himself with me. I want to bear the fruit of his spirit. Well, you're going to. I'm, I want to see a revival. You're going to. I want to see my family saved. You'll see these things because God planted the burden in you and he sees the three o'clock. Trust the clock and trust that God feels all time. Let me help you with this. There's three people in the Bible that went on a 40-day fast. Moses went on one, 40-day fast. The man who hid his face from God goes up to the mountain on a 40-day fast. And while he's up there, he says, show me your face. It's a different Moses, wasn't it? And he sees the hinder part of God. He doesn't see his face. He's covered by the cleft of the rock and he sees the hinder parts. And then we fast forward 700 years into the future, okay? The, the clock spins and over here we got Elijah, 40 day fast. He goes up to a mountain just like Moses and on that mountain, there he stands and he hears the still small voice of God. You fast forward about another 800 years and you got Jesus on a 40 day fast. Jesus goes up to a mountain, who's there? Moses and Elijah. Did they have a reunion, Brother Sletton, from heaven? Or did Moses step out of time and he was with the eternal God when he saw the back of God? Did Elijah have a reunion or did he step out of time when he was dwelling with a God who does not live in time and there they are they stepped out of the timeline into God's present and it just so happened that God's present is also the future so did Moses see the back of Jesus 
Did Elijah hear the voice of Jesus? Because all three of them are there and there's God with Moses and Elijah in the future. When you get into a holy atmosphere, when something happens in a prayer meeting or a church service where glory hits the room, God picks you up for a moment out of time and he speaks heavenly things to you that haven't happened yet in this realm. But he says to you, hey, this is gonna happen. And it puts you back at the end of the hour hand and you're here and you're like, all right, maybe tomorrow. But then you don't see it and as days go by you start doubting what happened in the glory of God you need to just keep on walking until you see Jesus with Moses and Elijah when you step out of this time into the glory realms God speaks to you things that are in his present but his present just so happens to be our futures and God has told us thankfully the end he shows us that he's going to have a mighty army of people and I've said God since that's the future you put me as one of the soldiers I've already seen that there's going to be a great in time harvest. I've seen in the word of God, these are things that I, God has said to all of us. He has said that he's going to have himself a church. And I said, well, God, since you're going to have one, put me in it and I'm going to be obedient to all of it. God speaks to us heavenly things that we come back into time with and we get frustrated with it because we say, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe I missed it. Or maybe you heard the voice of God. And God's waiting on us to just keep on walking until we see. Now make sure what God told you lines up with that book. If it don't line up with that book, that's you making stuff up. But if it can line up with the word of God, then God is leading us into a glorious future. I'm here today with encouragement. What God has said over these churches in North Dakota, God doesn't stutter. Moses does. When God speaks, he means it. And what he says, he means. And he says, if you obey me, that is as secure as your salvation was when I justified you. Your future is set if you can just obey me. Now hear me. I want to be balanced here. You could easily walk away from this message and say, well, God's going to give me my future. No matter what I do, put up for me 1 Samuel 13. Does this mean I'm predestined to be victorious no matter what? Absolutely not. You're supposed to be submitted to the word of God. Now, lest you think you can go on doing whatever you want to, do we go on sinning so that the justification can abound, the grace? God forbid. No, you gotta align yourself with scripture. Listen to a guy who maybe had this idea. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now, there's a, here's the conflict of would have and now. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. God spoke to me recently and he said, I'm having to give other people promises to the ones that are faithful. I had a promise over that man of God. He didn't want to live it. So I had to take the promise I gave to him because he aborted it. And I had to give somebody a double portion of it because now that person's showing themselves faithful. I believe that there are people, there's some musicians in the PC right now that's living in the promise of somebody else, another musician that decided they don't want to live in the word anymore and they walked away from it. So now we have James Wilson. I'll just say his name. He's walking in two. He's got his own calling that God was going to bless him with and God put something from another musician on him. I want everything God has for me. And I want to be obedient to what he has told me because God has spoken some things over my life and I tell him, I haven't seen it yet, but I still believe it's coming. I haven't seen everything you've promised me yet, but I know it's on its way. I can trust it right here and I'm not gonna walk away and I'm not gonna get offended at you or frustrated at you because your blood covered one o'clock. You called me at two o'clock. Uh, you called me August 25th, 2005 and you spoke some things to me in 2005 that I haven't seen yet, but God, I've seen some of the things you've said. So if you did those, you'll do the things I haven't seen. And this is faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things I haven't seen yet, but I still believe it's there because I trust the God who told it to me. Let me tell you a little story. My son passed away. In October, it'll be six years. And it was nine, 10 months after that. I was at home, my wife was in Maryland. 
Brother Slett and I was walking through my living room, pacing back and forth, and I was just, it's the first time after, I, I didn't pray for about seven months. I just read my Bible, eight hours a day, sometimes nine. And then finally, around the seven-month mark, I started praying again. God started speaking some stuff to me, some future stuff. This particular prayer meeting, I'm at home by myself. My wife's in Maryland visiting family, and I'm walking through my living room, and I'm praying, and God met with me. Glory fell, and the God who fills the whole clock fell into my living room, and this was his words. He says, I'm giving you a son and your wife is pregnant right now and me at this point I'm just kind of like along for the ride okay I said okay God I believe it I, I trust it you have been faithful and so I did what any rational husband would do uh, I told God I said well when my wife gets home tomorrow I'm going to take her to another broken egg if you don't know what that is it's a really cool restaurant and I was like we're going to go eat breakfast and I'm going to tell her she's pregnant <laughs> that's what you do right so my wife came home, she ruined the whole surprise because she came and sat me down, she goes, I got something I need to tell you. And I didn't want her to tell me, I wanted to know I heard from God. I was like, I already know what it is. She's like, I don't think you do. And I said, you're pregnant. She started weeping. She said, how could you know that? She said, I didn't find out until this morning. God told me before she even knew. I said, oh, God told me. And my wife's so sweet, she just goes with it now. She's like, well, God spoke to my husband, that's what, that's what it is. And I said, he told me the rest, we're having a boy. And she's like, awesome. Until 17 weeks later, we started having complications in the pregnancy. See, God didn't tell me all that. And he doesn't. He just wants you to believe what he said. So we're having complications in the pregnancy. We go and we have emergency ultrasound. Now, to all of you, you understand, you know what the gender of the baby is at 15 weeks. They are certain of it. We're at 17 weeks. So we go, we get an ultrasound, and the lady looks at us, she smiles, she goes, congratulations, you're having a beautiful, healthy baby girl. <laughs> My wife looked at me, I looked at her. My wife shrugged, and she was like, what happened? I was like, I don't know, like, they're wrong. And she was like... The lady behind the desk was like, no, sir, it's a girl. So at this point, you don't understand. I, I, we are on a roller coaster emotionally. So I grabbed the ultrasound and she started pointing everything out. And I was like, I, okay, that's, I was wrong. I don't know the voice of God. That's where your brain goes. I, I don't know the voice of God. It was so bad. You can call this ridiculous, but at the point where my mind was, we are less than a year removed from losing a child. And at this point, I literally, I turned in my license and I told my pastor, I said, I have no business hearing from God for others if I can't hear him for myself. And I stopped ministry. My two o'clock was screaming at me louder than God's three o'clock. So... I sat in the, in the office where our doctor was, Dr. Eileen. She knew about Levi. She knew our son passed away. And so she came in. She wanted to talk with us. She's sitting about this far from me. And I went to say, Dr. Eileen, are you sure? And before I could get it out, she said, AJ, I know. I, already, I can see. You're having a girl. I can see from here. And she said, we're, we're at 17 weeks. She says, we've never missed. She's like, it's just, it just is what it is. You can see. And she pointed it out again. And I kept the, the ultrasound. So during this process, I completely fell apart. Till one day, Brother Joe Campatella called me. He and Brother Stone King were together, and Brother Stone King said, tell my boy that he is still called. I don't know why Brother Stone King, I don't know Brother Stone King. Brother Stone King just had a word for me. And I just, I told my friend Joe, I was like, I'm not called, bro. Called people don't miss it. Have you ever said that? Called people know what God is saying. I said, I don't know. I had some, some great men call me, encourage me. So finally, I don't know if it was the encouragement. I don't know if it was the Holy Ghost. I don't know if it was stubborn old AJ. I'm pretty stubborn. And I said, I refuse. That's a boy. My wife and I were discussing girl names. And I said, nope, we're not going gonna to decide a name when the baby's here. We're going to have a girl name and a boy name. But we're not even going to discuss girl names. We'll pick a girl name the day of. This is what the boy's name's going to be. We're going to name him Ezra Finn. And she, my wife looked at me. She was like, babe, please don't do this to yourself. She's like, when I have the baby, I don't need you falling apart again. And Brother Stone King having to hear from heaven to talk to you. I need you to, like, hold it together so that you can help me in the hospital. Like, just don't lose it again. I said, I'm not going to lose it. I'm just, you know, God's good. We're going to figure this out. So... She calls me 
while at the office one day. I was at the church working. She calls me and I answer the phone. She goes, are you at the church right now? I said, I am. She goes, okay, I need to see you right now. She hung up. I don't know why she did that. That's like the worst thing to do when you're in this frame of mind. Because I knew she was at the doctor that day. So she came in and she opens up the door. She's crying. And I was like, oh my God, we lost the baby. That's where your brain goes. When you live at two o'clock so long and you haven't seen three, your brain goes to all these places. And I said, babe, we lost the baby. And she shook her head. No. She put an ultrasound down. And it said, congratulations, you're having a boy. I looked at my wife and I said, I don't understand. I, like, I said, this is the sickest joke you've ever played. And she looked at me, she's like, I had him check five times. And I said, well, was the, was the ultrasound machine messed up the day we went? She said, I asked them that. And they said, Amanda, we don't know what to tell you. We've never missed an ultrasound. I have brought, so for you doubters, I have two ultrasounds today. I've brought them to doctors and doctors have said, yeah, that's a girl. And I said, then you explain to me why I have a little boy sitting over there named Ezra Finn. You explain to me why this says this, but that says that you tell me why this is contrary to what is reality now that is the future that God told me even though the present was lying I went into the prayer room and here's what I did what any rational person would do I fell down I said God what are you doing We've been through enough, right? Why, are you, why couldn't it just be what you said it was the day you said it and us not have to go through this whole process? God spoke clear as day to me. He said, son, I wanted to know if you'd believe what I said, even if all earthly evidence said it would never happen because I wanted to see if you'd believe it because that's what prophesying will feel like. And he said, and when I put a word on you to speak, I don't want you wondering if it's gonna happen. I just want you to hear me, repeat it and let it go and just trust that three o'clock is coming. I am telling you what God has said to you in prayer, what God has given you vision of over your houses, what he has told you about your families and what he has said about your districts and cities to call, he's called you to. What he told you will happen at three o'clock. I stand as testimony of someone who fell apart at two and now I'm living at four o'clock looking back at the prophecy at three. I have seen God move every single time. You can take it to the bank that God has as his way. Put that image up there for me. Musicians, get ready. There is a powerful revelation. There's a picture on that thumb drive. There's no picture. Devil's a lie. Somebody somewhere deleted my picture. There is a picture that I came across on the internet. It's a picture that used to be hanging in the Louvre. It's called Checkmate. It's a picture of a devil sitting here and he's playing chess against a young man. And the painting was made because whoever wins gets the soul or keeps the soul. If the devil wins, he gets the soul of the young man. If the young man wins, he keeps his soul. And this, this painter painted this image and hung it in the Louvre till one day a chess grandmaster comes in and he begins to analyze the painting and he looks and he analyzes it for hours. I have a friend who is a grandmaster chess player in California. I showed him the painting to verify this and he analyzed it and after several minutes my friend looked at me and he said oh yeah that's not checkmate. I said what is it then? He said the young man has a move. I said what move does he have? He said I'm looking at the chessboard and his king has a move. I said, what's the move? He said, all the young man has to do is put the king right there. And when he does, game's over. The devil loses. So they took the painting down from the Louvre because it's inaccurate. They said that this isn't truly checkmate. That boy's king has another move. I don't care what your two o'clock is telling you. I don't care how loud you feel like the adversary is screaming at you. Your king will always have another move left. You take this to the bank. This is not hype. This is not me trying to make you feel better. The revival that God has spoken to you men over North Dakota. What God has told you about this city. Brother Sletton, what God told you over far Fargo. Pastor, what he told you would be what he said over your children. You take that to the bank and you don't worry about it. You just say, God, every day I'm giving that word back to you. I'm not going to stress about it. I'm just going to walk. You order my steps until I find myself at three o'clock where the word that you told me happens. I believe it with every fiber of my being. I believe in the end time revival. I believe in the harvest. I believe that what God said is true. I don't doubt a single ounce of it. I believe that God told me he's going to move and I'm going to be here walking until I see what he said. 
you precious elders, can you come down here and just stand in front of here? Can you put your heels against this, this, this podium right here? My brother, if you don't mind, just come here. Yes, you. Thank you. If you can come here. I want y'all to, my brother right here, if you don't mind either, if you can just come here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sorry. I would call your name, but here, I want y'all to just link arms, if you don't mind, just in a line, just link arms. I've got some prophecies in my soul that God has shown me. And I asked God, I said, why are you letting me travel? He said, because I've said some things to you that I need you to tell my church. I said, okay, God, I'll just repeat it. Whatever you tell me, I'll repeat. I won't add to or take away from it. And just a few years ago, it was three years ago, it was my first time traveling to California. I was so geographically ignorant that I was going to preach in Modesto and I decided to fly into San Francisco. That's how ignorant I was. So I flew into San Francisco. I didn't know I was going to have to have like an hour and a half drive to where I was going. And so I rented my car and I could feel something stirring in my soul. I just felt something brewing in me. And I just, I said, God, I want to get to the hotel so I can start praying through this. I got to my hotel and when I opened up the door, I walked in, threw my suitcase down. When the door clicked shut, prayer just intercession came over me and a vision just out of nowhere hit me and I saw these bricks falling from heaven just these bricks just falling I preached this at the at, at this youth camp here in, in North Dakota bricks started falling from heaven and when it did it was stacking up all these bricks and when it did there was a hand that came out of heaven and wrote on the wall and it said Acts 2 church and I stood back and I looked at it and I said God I don't understand this. All of a sudden, he said, look to your left. And I looked to my left. And can I get some, can I get some of you 30-something-year-olds? Can I get, get some of you guys? Just If you're 30s, I want you to come over here and just do what they're doing, but in this direction. Just link up. There's literally only two 30-year-olds here. All right. This way, this way. Thank you, brother. No, 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 we're going to build the wall right. We can't do it wrong. All right, thank you. Thank you, perfect. The wall went in that direction. As I stood, come this way a little bit, let's... Get ready, I'm going to use you on this wall. When I looked at it, I saw a hand come down from heaven and it wrote on the wall. It said, Great Awakenings. And I thought, I don't understand this. It was just thousands of bricks stacked up. He said, Turn and look to your right. And I turned and looked to my right. And can, Brother Sletton, if you can come, would you just come stand right here? Can, can I get you two guys just come stand right here? I know you don't fit the age bracket, but that's okay. We're just going to go with it. I want you to do exactly what they did. And when I turned and looked to my right, I saw this walls. Just this wall being built up. And a hand came down from heaven and wrote on it and said, Azusa Street Revival. And I'm then looking at it, and I know what I'm seeing now. I'm seeing a temple being built in the spirit. And it's made up of bricks, but all the bricks were people. And I looked at it, and I said, God, what is this? He said, I've been building a church since Acts. He said, and it was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And that chief cornerstone is me. And every one of them that followed my pattern through the death, the burial, the resurrection, and those that live my life also have been added to a great assembly of people. And he said, and I didn't stop in Acts. I kept on building it through people that was passionate about prayer. He said, and I didn't stop there. He said, I started adding it in Azusa Street as well so that you could have access to it today. And he said this to me. He said, I'm going to finish this wall during the pandemic. I said, okay, what does that mean? He said, tell my church I'm getting ready to start construction on the fourth and final wall of my house. He said, this house is going to be completed very soon. He said, and you let those that are still here know that they're the foundations of the last wall. Do you understand who we are in this time? You thought you just showed up and you were just born here at this time of history? God didn't put you during this times. He didn't want you there. He needed them there. He had a William Seymour. He had a Charles Parham. He had all of these individuals here. He didn't put us in that time. When God was looking through heaven at all the bricks of the Gentiles, he said, huh, who can I trust with the end times? Who can I trust with a pandemic? Who can I trust with talks of nuclear warfare? Who can I trust with political problems? Who can I trust with moral compasses going way off true north? Who can I trust with critical race theory? Who can I trust with all of these divisive topics that they have nowadays? Who can I trust with that time? And he said, I know who I can trust. I got a plan. And I told them about it at one o'clock. 
And here we are at three. Did you know that we have a doomsday clock? We don't put a lot of faith in it, but do you know that they just rolled it to 90 seconds to midnight? It's the closest that our doomsday clock that they created during the Manhattan Project has ever been to midnight. They just rolled it forward this year. We are 90 seconds to midnight according to that. I wonder if they understand where we are prophetically. Who can I trust with that hour? You understand that every brick that's getting added, every time somebody gets the Holy Ghost, they enter into a household of faith that is more powerful than anything has ever been. If that wall standing by itself, Rome couldn't stop it, who lied to you and said when he adds a whole other wall to it that anything else could stop it? When he adds this wall, anybody who's ever built a house knows when you put up all four walls and you connect it with the rafters and you put the roof on it, that thing is the strongest that it has ever been. Right now, God has already started on his fourth and final wall. This is the strongest the house has ever been. This is the most powerful the church has ever been. And here's what we get. Do you know what you precious guys get? You get tied to the experience at Azusa Street. You get the passion of prayer from the Great Awakenings and you get the works and the passion for the doctrine that they had in the beginning. You get all of it in this time. That's why the Bible says the end of a thing is better than its beginning. What they did then, you get even more of, not because you're better, but because who you're tied to. You are tied to a powerful church. If you have never been a part of the church, hear me right now, this this is the safest place here in the end times. This is the most powerful church that we have ever seen. This is the glorious church that God has been building. And you know what? He said that he would build it. And look, we're seeing it today. People are still getting the Holy Ghost. You're all here, aren't you? You came and said, we want to hear the voice of God. We want to be in the presence of God. We want to be around people of like precious faith. He's building the house. If he's doing this, let's zoom into the bricks. He'll do it for you because you having God's word accomplished complements the brick you're connected to. If you will do what God said, then the person you're linked to in the local church will benefit. If you do what God has said, it benefits the whole body. If I say yes to the call, it helps the people I'm connected to because after all, the reason why I'm doing it is not for me. It's because I'm compassed by so great a cloud of witnesses. God is building the most powerful entity on this earth and I want you to hear from heaven that this is the strongest the church has ever been at any time in history. This is the most powerful thing we've ever been a part of. And I believe prophetically we're going to get everything the three other walls have gotten. I believe we're going to come into a time where prayer meetings are breaking out across churches. I believe that a majority of our true churches are going to have 24-hour prayer chains around the clock. I believe that we're going to see gifts of the Spirit and doctrines taught all across the movement. I believe that we're going to have experiences of giftings. I believe we're going to see the gifts of the Spirit flowing. But I also believe we're going to have the fruit of the spirit flowing. I believe that this generation that you and I are in, God has given us what we need to endure the world we currently live in. In any day now, we're going to link up to the final wall and then it's going to be finished. When that final brick is added, God's calling this thing up and it's going to go back to heaven where it came from. And you and I are going to get the final four o'clock promise. You and I are going to be standing on streets of gold. We're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be a part of the wedding supper of the lamb. We get all of this. You're going to win. Here's the final thing God told me, and I want you to run to these altars after this. I looked at this, and I saw a compass come down into the temple after that wall was done, and I saw it spin, and all of a sudden, it pointed west, and I immediately knew what this was. God was telling us that the fourth and final wall is the western wall. You enter in through the east in the tabernacle. This was the entrance to it. Acts 2 was how you and I enter the kingdom, but then God began to create the rest of the house. He's going to finish with the western wall and when that western wall goes up do you know what the western wall is closest to the glory the holy of holies is the wall that's closest to the presence of God you and I are closer to his return than any other of the walls these are the entrances but we get the return of God you and I are going to see the sky split open 
You and I are going to be caught up with them in the air. You and I are going to see that. You and I are going to be the ones that walk through streets of gold. And there's going to be all those looking at us and saying, well done, well done. You did it. You didn't let go of any of the doctrine. You didn't let go of any of the things that we brought into the world. You were passionate about prayer. You had fruit. You had giftings. You had doctrine. Well done. Enter thou in. I want everybody to have this. I want you to run to these altars. I want you to throw your hand up. I don't want anybody kneeling down crying. I want you to throw those hands up and I want you to tell hell and I want you to confirm to God, I believe everything you have said over the Northern District. I believe everything you have told us about my family. I believe everything you have prophesied over us. I believe the calling you've given me is for a purpose. I believe that what you spoke to me is going to take place. God, I don't get to determine when. You know when, but I'm letting you know right here that I believe it. I want y'all to play something up. Yeah. Here in a moment, there's going to be shouting coming over you because you're going to have a rejoice in your soul. You're going to begin to shout and say, I'm shouting for the three o'clock that's coming. I already believe it. I trust that it's on its way. I don't have a single ounce of doubt because God's presence coming into this room and he's enrapturing me right now. When you feel it come over you, I want you to start shouting in the presence of God as a sign to him that your hope is building up to a point that I believe what God has told me. I trust every word he has said. I'm going to go home with not just faith, but with hope. I'm having hope for the word he said, and I trust it. Lift up your voice, man of God. You lift up that voice, woman of God. Young man, young lady, you rejoice to God. He does not fail. He cannot lose. And so long as I'm with him, Board. He can't lose this game. And if he can't, you can't because you are in him and he is in you. So if he wins.